Amen. Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Exodus. This morning in the Lord's providence, we find ourselves in Exodus chapter 5. If you're just joining us, we've begun to walk through this book of Holy Scripture together. Exodus chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the word of the living God. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men, that they may labor in it. And let them not regard false words. This is the word of the living God, and we say, thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let's pray, brothers and sisters. Now, O Lord, we pray that the preaching of the word of Christ might be the word of Christ to his covenant people. We pray that you would awaken lost souls this day, and we pray for your own covenant people who've been born again by Your Spirit, who've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, that today their souls would be nourished, that their faith would be strengthened and increased, that You would point us to the history of redemption once more, and that we, by Your grace, may see ourselves securely there by the blood of the Lamb. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thus far in the book of Exodus... We've seen God giving pictures. You need to understand by this point that Exodus really is given of the Lord God. It's a true story. But it's given ultimately because God, from all eternity, purposed to send His Son, Jesus, eternally God. And yet at a moment in time, putting on our flesh and coming to save us from sin. And one way that we understand how the Bible works is that from Genesis all the way up to the book of Matthew in the New Testament, the unfolding plan of Scripture is that the Son of God is going to come. The skull-crushing seed of the woman is going to come and He is going to free slaves to sin and bring them into everlasting life. So this true story in Exodus chapter 5, is one small part of how God gets us from creation and fall to the coming Christ. Here in Exodus, we're given a picture of God's people. 
now growing to large number, trapped, as it were, in slavery in Egypt. And their rescue, which we will soon see by God's grace, is a picture of the rescue of God's people from every nation and tribe and tongue from their slavery to sin. Friend, you and I were born slaves. Oh, you may very well be free in your work, in your family, in your bank account, but you and I were born slaves to sin. And unless God rescues us, we will remain there hating the God who made us. So the Old Testament not only gets us to Jesus, but it gives us pictures of what it's going to look like on a grander scale for God to free slaves to sin. Here in Exodus chapter 5, Moses and his brother Aaron have just received a divine command. You remember in Exodus chapter 4, Moses has that discussion with God. Lord, I'm not good with words. And now you're going to send me to tell the Hebrews and ultimately the king, the sovereign of the greatest nation at this point on earth. You're going to put your words in my mouth? Well, God says yes. I will equip you. I will be with you. And so he sends Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh. And in chapter 5, verse 1, they deliver the message. They deliver it quite boldly. Moses and Aaron, verse 1, went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Thus says Yahweh, let my people Go, boys and girls, we're going to hear that phrase many times over the next few chapters. God, through the voice of Aaron, by the word of Moses, is going to continually say, let my people go. But I would submit to you that in this chapter, Exodus chapter 5, there are a lot of words. Here's how we'll look at this chapter this morning. There are the words of God's messengers There are the words of an unbeliever, and there are the words of God's people. I want us to look at this chapter in those three ways. What are the words of God's messenger? And then, when an unbelieving king and his whole nation hears the word of the messenger of God, what are their words? This is the case in our day. We have the very word of God. We go out into the highways and byways of life. And unbelievers give us words all the time. But then what are the words of God's own people, particularly at the end of this chapter? So firstly then, the words of God's messenger. Verse 1, let my people go. Notice that Moses and Aaron go. Aaron, likely the mouthpiece here, as we've seen already. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. God's identity is given, and then God's word is given. And this is a bold deliverance of God's word to Pharaoh. There's not really a lot of sugarcoating it, is there? There's not really a lot of preparation. Here is who God is, the true and living God, and this is what he says, O king, O Pharaoh, let my people go. It's interesting, the writer of Hebrews picks up on this. Turn there with me for just a moment. Hebrews chapter 11. You remember that great chapter of faith where all of the Old Testament examples of faith in God are given. Moses takes up many of those verses. But in Hebrews 11, verse 27, we read this. Speaking of Moses, By faith he forsook Egypt, 
not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now we've already seen the writer of Hebrews talk about how Moses had faith up to this point. But now we see the New Testament giving us commentary on the Old Testament. Hey, look, when Moses made his way into Pharaoh's courts time after time after time, it was a holy boldness because he had faith in the invisible king and sovereign of the universe. And so this small Pharaoh ultimately was no match for the God of the universe. Now, some scholars do point out in Exodus chapter 5 that it seems as though there is a slight divergence from the exact wording that God had given to Moses. There's a slight divergence. In fact, we don't get the full message until we get to verse 3. Notice what it says there. The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God. And then there's an additional phrase that is added that we haven't seen yet. Lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. Now scholars are mixed. Are Moses and Aaron adding things to the word of God? Just like some say Eve added when speaking to Satan? Or is this just a particular order that we get. In either case, there is a boldness and a deliverance of God's word. This is the word of the messenger. Brothers and sisters, I would submit to you that even though Moses and Aaron are not new covenant preachers, they do model, at least in part for us, what we need in every generation. We need messengers of God to declare God's words with holy boldness. That's what we need. We need messengers of God to declare God's word with holy boldness. So Moses and Aaron deliver the words of God. But much of the rest of the chapter are not the words of God's messengers, but they're the words of an unbeliever. How do unbelievers respond when you speak the word of God to them? If by God's grace through his spirit he gives them life, he regenerates them, they may respond with a joyful faith and repentance. But a lot of times, how do unbelievers respond? Well, I'll show you. Look at verse 2. Who is Yahweh? that I should obey his voice to let Israel go. This is often the response of the unbelieving world. Now you should note in verse 2 that this is not a genuine inquiry. You might read that and you might think, well, look, Pharaoh's on task here. Moses and Aaron, the messengers of God, have delivered God's word, and he says, oh, who is the Lord? Tell me about him. I'm curious. I want to know. Teach me. No, this is not a genuine inquiry of someone who is seeking after truth. This is a declaration of self-divinity. Egyptians, by the way, during this period of time, often gave their pharaohs a godlike status. We've seen that in the history of the world, don't we? 
kings, rulers, dictators rise up and they are sometimes viewed as gods. Sometimes they're actually commanded to be called gods. It was the case in Pharaoh's day. Who is your god? I don't recognize who your god is. I know who the true and living god is. Me. Brothers and sisters, I would submit to you that that is actually a theme that works its way out in the history of the unbelieving world. People hear the word of the true and living God and they reject it because they believe that they themselves, in their hearts, are gods. A repeated theme in the book of Exodus, by the way, is knowing who God is. For instance, we'll see this in chapter 6, verse 7, chapter 7, verse 5, and verse 17, chapter 8, verse 10 and 22, chapter 9, verse 14. In fact, you could make the argument that with every single one of the plagues, there is the steady refrain, this is who God is. The words of an unbeliever, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Now, I want to take you on a little bit of a journey for just a moment in the history of the pharaohs of Egypt. Because this is not the first Pharaoh that has been asked by Hebrews, would you let us go? Turn back just a few pages to Genesis chapter 50. A different Pharaoh is in charge. This is during the time of Joseph. When the Pharaoh recognized Joseph. When the Pharaoh, as it seems as a tool in God's providence, served the Hebrews. In Genesis chapter 50... Picking up in verse 4, there was a time when Joseph's father dies, Jacob. And notice what happens. Genesis 50, verse 4. Now when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spoke to the house of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, My father has made me swear, saying, Behold, I am dying. In my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. Now, therefore, please let me go. Please let me go up and bury my father, and I will come back. And Pharaoh said, go up and bury your father, as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the lands of Egypt, as well as all the house of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's house. Only their little ones, their flocks, and their herds they left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great gathering. There has already been a history of the Pharaohs, as it were, letting the Hebrews go. But this particular Pharaoh, in his stubbornness, in his hard-heartedness, in his obstinacy, doesn't in any way respond in that same way, but rather says, Who is Yahweh? I don't recognize his voice. Therefore, I will not let you go anywhere. Now, Pharaoh's answer will come in just a few short chapters. Let me give you one example. Turn over to chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7 and verse 17. Notice there, in the first plague... We read these words. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. 
Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. You need to know, before we get to all the plagues, that Pharaoh has given words, the words of an unbeliever. I don't believe in your God. Who is Yahweh? And plague after plague after plague, we will see the living God say, through Moses and Aaron, you want to know who I am? I rule and reign over all the things in your life that you hold dear, and some of which you may worship. Pharaoh will get his answer. Ancient church father Chrysostom says this, commenting on this passage, Let us then become lowly, that we may be high. For most, utterly does arrogance abase. This abased Pharaoh. For I know not, he says the Lord. And he became inferior to flies and frogs and locusts. And after that, with his very arms and horses, was he drowned in the sea. Now, friend, you may be here today and someone invited you to church. You may have heard the word of God proclaimed to you before. You may have heard the message that God saves sinners and that he has a plan to redeem them from slavery to sin. And in your heart, your answer is the same as Pharaoh's. Who is this God? This is not God. This is a falsehood. But God in His mercy has sent His very Word to you, a Word which proclaims that He will redeem a people from every nation and tribe and tongue. And yet, He will redeem you if you respond to the Gospel in faith and repentance. But most hearts have Pharaoh's words inscribed upon them. Who is Yahweh? But a larger question here is now we have the battle of two gods, don't we? We have the true and living God, and we have the God, little g, of Pharaoh. One commentator asked the question, at this point in the story, who will Israel serve? Who will they serve? The God of Egypt or the true and living God? That's really a question for each of us today. We're not trapped in slavery in Egypt. We're not picking up straw and stubble to make bricks. But we very much are enslaved to sin outside the grace of Jesus Christ. God, who is rich in mercy, has sent His Son to pay the penalty for sinners. That all who trust in Christ, who look on Him, will have their sins washed and forgiven. Have them covered and have the divine justice of God met in the sacrifice of the Son. Do you hear the word of Christ today? Do you hear that God has sent a messenger to you to proclaim to you that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life? No man comes to the Father except through Him. That God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. That Jesus says to you, all that the Father has given to me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will not cast out. That God has said to you and to all who have ears to hear, there is now no condemnation for a particular people, for those who are in Christ. God is bent toward you in love and mercy through the blood of the Lamb. This is the very word of God. And yet many in our world hear this word and with the heart of Pharaoh they say, I don't recognize this God. But there is absolutely no reason, friend, no reason at all 
that you need to stay away from this God who sent His Son to die for sinners. The love of God was on display some 2,000 years ago when His Son hung on a cross in love and mercy for sinners. What more do we need than to look to Him? But notice, as we consider the words of an unbeliever, Pharaoh, then in addition to blasphemous words against God, Pharaoh utters false words regarding God's people. And maybe you have been the recipient of such a thing. Just notice in the next few verses that Pharaoh doesn't just blaspheme God. He also says, well, boys and girls, some mean things about God's people. Firstly, look at verse 4. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. Let me translate that while leaving out all the details. Your God's request for worship is faulty. Get back to work. I don't honor your God's request for worship. Your week is not centered around your God. It's what I, the king of this world, want you to do. Notice later in verse 9, Pharaoh actually says this, Let more work be laid on the men that they may labor in it, and then let them not regard false words. Now, let's just zoom out for a minute. God has said through his messengers that he's going to free his people. Pharaoh says no, and then what does he call the message of redemption? False words. You relate to that in your workplace? In your neighborhood? In your family at the Thanksgiving table as extended family members gather? Why do you worship this God? Why do you, do, why do you raise your family the way you do? Why do you believe this gospel of Jesus Christ? Those are false words. It's exactly what Pharaoh says about the message of freedom that God is going to bring from slavery to Egypt. Well, <clears throat> boys and girls, as the text continues, things get harder for God's people. Let's pick this up in verse 10. Notice what happens next. Pharaoh basically says, they're believing a lie, and I'm going to punish them. I want to make their work harder. He's persecuting them, really. Picking up in verse 10. And the taskmasters of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go, get yourself straw where you can find it. Yet none of your work will be reduced. In other words, I'm no longer going to give you the supplies to do the job, but you still need to make the same amount of bricks every day. You think you have time to worry with this God and his message of redemption? I'll show you what you'll do. You'll serve me, and it's going to be difficult. Go, verse 11, get yourself straw where you can find it, yet none of your work will be reduced. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, fulfill your work, your daily quota, as when there was straw. Also, the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as before? So there, there are all these levels of people that are now involved. Moses and Aaron have said, this is the word of God. Pharaoh says, your God is a God I don't recognize, and I don't believe this. In fact, this is a lie. 
So because you've had time out there to do your religious thing, I'm going to make your job difficult. So he goes to a particular group of taskmasters and says, this is what you're going to do. Those taskmasters then go to the people of Israel and say, this is what you're going to do. But if you don't do what we say you're going to do, we're going to get punished. So there are all these levels of individuals who are now impacted by this severe persecution. Listen to what the Puritan Matthew Henry said about this very thing. Quote, even when God is coming towards his people in ways of mercy, he sometimes takes such methods as that they may think themselves but ill-treated. The instruments of deliverance, when they take aim to help, are found to hinder, and that becomes a trap which it was hoped would have been for their welfare, God suffering it to be so, that we may learn to cease from man and may come off from a dependence upon second causes. Things are going to go from bad to worse to much more worse. But by the time that Israel walks through the Red Sea, there will be no doubt at all who's doing it. It's not the eloquence of Moses, the giftedness of Aaron. It's not even the generosity of a pagan king. It's God. Notice in verse 15, those of you that like to think about how civil authority ought to work, about magistrates, look at verse 15. Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why are you dealing thus with your servants? There is no straw given to your servants, and they say to us, Make brick. And indeed your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. It's almost like there is an appeal to a magistrate, as it were, a governing official. Think about this. You're in slavery. You probably don't have a high regard for your slave master, Pharaoh. And yet there still is this recognition. You're right now, by God's providence, the one who is in control of us. So we're going to appeal to you. Why are you doing this? I don't think I have to convince you that Christians down through the ages have not always been led by Christian kings and queens. God is not bound by who is on the throne of Egypt, who the Caesar of Rome is, who the King of England is, or who the President of the United States is. Well, notice Pharaoh utters more false words regarding God's people. Look at verse 17. But he said, you are idle, idle, Therefore, you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. You know, brothers and sisters, sometimes the world will call our character into question because we are seeking to serve the living God. Sometimes the unbelieving world will look at us because of their value system being the exact opposite of what God calls it to be, and they will call us the sinful ones. They will call us the evil ones. They will call us the bigoted ones. You are idle. They're working their fingers to the bone, and yet Pharaoh says, you're lazy. That's why you want to do this religious thing. You're lazy. Ever had anyone question your character because you were seeking to live a godly life? You had anyone ever call you into question because you were seeking to serve God in the way that his word commands? And they label you as, in this case, idle or something else. 
We will be maligned, brothers and sisters. If you're here today and you're thinking about what Christianity is, you've hopefully heard that it's not a message of cleaning yourself up and earning your way into heaven, but it's only trusting in Christ and His work and death on the cross by which you may be saved. You need to know that the call to Christ is not an easy one. It's a free one. He does all the work. But if you want to be identified with God's people, listen to the job description from the lips of Christ in John 15. You ready for this? Here it is. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yes, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, are you ready for it? Teenager, college student, young adult, thinking about the claims of Christ as you go out into the world. Do I really want to serve Christ when mom and dad are no longer looking? Hear what the living Savior says. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. See, Pharaoh is just one of many examples in the Bible and throughout church history where unbelievers will say of God's people seeking to follow after God, you're a problem. You're a scourge on our society. You're the unloving one. That's what they did in the first and second century, brothers and sisters. They came up with all manner of calling these new Christians, Christ followers, evil. You know, they, they gather together and they eat bread and they drink wine and they call it the body and blood of their Savior. They're cannibals. They call each other brother and sister. They must be incestuous. How are they seeking to label us today in our workplaces? Just remember, brothers and sisters, that when we seek to follow after Christ and to spread His word, there will be times, not all of the time, but there will be times when the world will call our character into question because we're seeking to serve the true and living God. We've seen the words of God's messenger and we've seen some of the words of an unbeliever, Pharaoh. But lastly, I want us to look at a final set of words which shows up in this passage and that is the words of God's people. Now the last time we heard God's word spoken to God's people, God's people respond. Look at the very end of chapter 4, verse 31. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sights of the people. Verse 31, so the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. It's a, a glorious moment at the end of chapter 4. God's word that was given to God's messengers had been spoken. The word had been validated by signs. And they're believing and they're worshiping. They're bowing their heads down. The true and living God is going to redeem us. So certainly, when a little persecution comes their way, they're going to be ready for it. What are the words of God's people at the end of chapter 5? Let's pick up the story. Verse 20. 
Then as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron, who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, Let the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to kill us. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Now God is going to give a gracious answer to Moses, and Lord willing, we'll see it next week. But notice the words of God's people. The officers of the children of Israel go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, I'm going to make your work even harder. So you know what they should have done? You know what the people of God, the old covenant people of God should have done? They should have come out and grieved and wept and looked at Moses and Aaron and said, we are with you. Our God has spoken and we believe his word. Let's move forward. That's not what happened. It's not what happens at all. Rather, they say, let the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us abhorrent. You have made us, some translations say, stink. It's your fault. You know, in one sense... We see this warning given to us in the New Testament, don't we? 2 Timothy 4.3, Paul writing there to Timothy, perhaps in his last letter, says, hey, preach the word. Give the word of God. There's going to come a day when people are going to gather together, 2 Timothy 4.3, teachers that tell them what they want to hear. They're going to want their ears tickled, but you keep preaching the word. And they won't like it. All of the time. Matthew Henry, commenting again on this passage, says this about the words of God's people. Those that are called out, those that are called out to public service for God and their generation must expect to be tried, not only by the malicious threats of proud enemies, but by the unjust and unkind censures of unthinking friends who judge only by outward appearance and look but a little way before them. Now what did Moses do in this strait? It grieved him to the heart that the event did not answer, but rather contradict his expectation. And their upbraidings were very cutting, unlike a sword in his bones. You see, brothers and sisters, At the very end of Exodus 4, the people were in worship. And at the end of chapter 5, they're basically saying, God's word can't be trusted. They want to shoot the messenger. I would just submit to you here is one example among many in Scripture where grumbling against God's messengers as they faithfully bring God's words is grumbling against God. Not only this, but, and we're not told all the details, but but can you imagine 
the so-called Hebrew community during these weeks as the work gets more difficult? Can you imagine the whispering and the gossip as the suffering gets worse, as the discontentment gets worse? You know, suffering and discontentment is often a place for gossip and grumbling to develop. The people who were bowing their heads just one chapter before and worshiping the living God are now, it seems, almost gathering together in one accord to say, we got to get rid of Moses and Aaron. Now, will there ever be another person in the Bible who comes to give God's words that eventually the people who followed him will ultimately come out and say, we got to get rid of him? It's our Savior. Just think about the three years of his ministry. Clamorings. They're waving palm branches, quoting psalms. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And within a week's time, crucify him. You know, the human psyche is not really that difficult to trace, is it? Without the intervention of a merciful God, even moments of great joy in the message of God will eventually turn to discontent, gossip, and grumbling. A question for us at this juncture, seeing how these two chapters end, will we be content if God brings us through suffering along the road to glory? If God's plan for His people is that some of them go through great suffering, will we be ready and be on guard from discontent or grumbling against God? Perhaps a more specific question. Will we be quick to grumble if our experience is not what we want? I know God has said that He's going to save me, I know God is going to take me home. He's going to redeem me. There's going to be a great day when I stand in His presence with all my sins forgiven. But quite frankly, I'm a little frustrated at Him right now because of the circumstances that I'm in. Better words of worship and trust in God's Word would have been, again, God has promised to deliver us. Who are we to doubt that he will free us even though our circumstances have changed? Moses, Aaron, go again. We're with you. You've got God's words. Moses prays, and we'll look at this next week. God is gracious. But what does he do? He just goes to the Lord in prayer. Lord, Why have you brought trouble on this people? You ever ask that question? Lord, why have you brought trouble on my family? Why have you brought trouble on my body? Why have you brought trouble? Moses prays in faith to God. Then he says, perhaps in a non-grumbling way, what is on the lips and hearts of many of the other people For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Sounds like the psalmist in Psalm 77. Has God forgotten to be gracious? No, brothers and sisters, in Exodus chapter 5, we have the words of God's messengers. Redemption is coming. The king of all kings 
is going to release us from slavery very soon. And every eye will see it. The words of the unbeliever, those are false words. I don't even know your God. And in this instance, not always, but in this instance, even God's own people find grumbling and discontent and perhaps whispering to be where they go for solace when their circumstances change. I would submit to you, let us not respond like Pharaoh. Let us not respond in this instant like God's people. But let us hear the words of God's very promise. Cling to it. And let that speak the loudest word, whatever our circumstances may be. Let's pray. Living God, we ask that as we look through this story of words to the Old Covenant people and see beyond it the greater picture that it pointed to of Christ who will redeem a people from every nation and tribe and tongue, would You give us hearts of faith? Would You give unbelievers in this room a supernatural regeneration so that they don't respond to the Gospel message of freedom in Christ like Pharaoh did? Would You guard us from grumbling at your message of salvation when our circumstances change. Help us, O Lord. Guard us, we pray. May we cling to the precious promise all of our days when there's plenty of straw on the ground and when there's only stubble. May we cling to your words. As you promise, you are taking us out soon from the Egypt of sin and taking us to your promised land. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.